Well, tonight we're going to keep looking at the life of Jacob. Uh, open your Bible to Genesis 29. And uh, tonight we will go through the first 30 verses of this chapter. Uh, Jacob is going to complete his journey to the home of his uncle, his mother's brother in Haran. Uh, we left off last week with God speaking to Jacob in a dream. It was the first time God had spoken directly to Jacob. Um, we saw in that dream the ladder with the angels ascending and descending, and God speaking to Jacob. I believe that is the pre-incarnate Christ that was speaking to Jacob, and we've seen this numerous times in Genesis already. But uh, he was basically, well not basically, he was affirming to Jacob that the covenant he made with his grandfather Abraham would be fulfilled through him. Again, the Abrahamic covenant is all over Genesis and all over the rest of the Bible. Once you get to that point in Genesis, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, the rest of the Bible is about the unfolding of that covenant for the glory of God. And, and, and so that's what happened there. Jacob affirms his own commitment to God after that. And well, let's read what happened next. Genesis 29, 1 through 30, a lengthy passage tonight, but uh, one we'll get through with no problem. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the sons of the east. He looked and saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were there lying beside it. For from that well they watered the flocks. Now the stone on the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, they would then roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered. And they rolled the stone from the mouth of the well, then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept. Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of his father, or her father, and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. So when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, and he, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house, then he related to Laban all these things. Laban said to him, Surely you are, bone and my, you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The, older, the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. 
So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed, that I may go into her. Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and Jacob went into her. Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter as a maid. So it came about in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, It is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he loved, and he served with Laban for another seven years. So we're covering a substantial amount of time here uh, in just 30 verses of text. But before we get to Rachel and Laban and Leah, how does this start? It starts with Jacob in Bethel, that, that place he was in with the dream. And it means house of God. And when he got to Bethel, of course, he didn't, it wasn't called Bethel then. He, that came to be what he called it. When he got there, he was a rattled man. Rattled and on the run. On the run from his brother Esau, looking to kill him. And he, he'd taken his birthright, he'd taken his blessing that Esau thought was his. And so Jacob was on the run. But when God appeared to Jacob, it really changes everything. Because suddenly Jacob goes from being afraid of Esau and on the run and fearing for his earthly life to fearing God and being spoken to personally and specially by God and being promised by God that he will have a long earthly life, at least long enough to make it back to the promised land. And all of the promises made to Abraham and reaffirmed to Isaac would now come through him. So Jacob goes from desperate to resolute almost in a moment's notice. And that's evident from the phraseology of verse 1. The New American Standard I read from just a second ago said, Then Jacob went on his journey. And that is how the majority of English translations say that or, or render that. But the New Living Translation, it's more of a thought-for-thought -thought translation than a literal word-for-word, -word, but it does have the thought here that Jacob hurried on. And that's the 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 tenor, the tone of the uh, original Hebrew. He, he lifted up his feet, is what the original Hebrew says. In other words, with the promise of God behind him and before him, Jacob got moving to Haran. And he came to the sons of the east. He made his way north through Syria, then he would have gone east across the Euphrates River into Mesopotamia toward Haran, and apparently right before getting to town, and maybe even right on the edge of town, he comes to this well. And as we've gone through Genesis, wells certainly have a big role to play in Genesis, right? I mean, and, and we're not done, but, but Jacob comes to the well, and there are three flocks of sheep gathered there, but no one's gathering water. None of the flocks there are being watered. The, the shepherds appear 
not in any hurry to do so. There's this stone that's still on top of the well, and it's a large stone. And verse 3 says that they would wait until all the flocks were there before they took the stone off and then put it back on. So it appears that this was the custom every day, that the, the shepherds would just kind of show up and, and wait around until everybody got there. Well, Jacob gets there, and and he asks the, flo- the, the shepherds of the flocks where they're from, and they say, Haran. Well, do you know Laban? And they say, yeah, we know Laban. Is it well with him? How is he? And Jacob's asking this because as far as 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 he knows, Laban could have been dead. It's been about 100 years since Rebekah had left Haran, had left her father's house when Abraham's servant came to get her. Almost 100 years since then. And for all we know, they had not seen each other since then. There had been no communication. Um, We could speculate that there were uh, maybe messages through traveling caravans, but that's all that is is speculation. And to, so Jacob asked about Laban, and the shepherds say it as well, and oh yeah, here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. And it's written all this in, in such a way so as to cause us to immediately recall Abraham's servant and Rebekah. The parallels to Genesis 24 are clear. And they are designed, as I understand this, to recognize, for us to recognize, the role that God plays in all this. He is at work at the well when Abraham's servant comes, and the first person he contacts is Rebekah. You know, of all the people he could have met, it's his master, Abraham's great niece, he sees first. And well, Jacob comes across these anonymous shepherds first, but even though the language isn't as overt in pointing out God causing all of this to happen... Rachel, his cousin, is the one who comes with the sheep. And these things aren't accidental. You know, this is Ephesians 1.11 being played out in Genesis. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.11, We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his, God's purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. He works all things after the counsel of his will. His providence in Genesis 29 is obvious. And all of a sudden, Jacob, when he sees Rachel, this is Laban's daughter, he's told. He doesn't want the shepherds there anymore. He, it, it is not time for the livestock to be gathered. It's high day. You know, in other words, what do you, you shouldn't be here right now. It's like high noon. But they were there, and Jacob wanted them gone. He's like, why do the sheep go pasture them? And they, they say, no, we're gonna, we got to wait for all the flocks to come so we can roll the stone off the well. So verse 9, while he is still speaking to them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, that, that a point is made to call her a shepherdess seems to indicate it was unique for a woman to be doing that job. Um, but it wasn't so unique because, you know, Rebecca, Jacob's mother, was not shy about watering animals either. But here she is, Rachel is, and upon seeing her, verse 10, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of his mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. That is repetition. His mother's brother, three times in verse 10. 
And that's what the, the repetition shows us that that's the fact here that we're supposed to be paying attention to. Rachel is not the story yet as much as Laban is the story and how he will be the story really over the next two or three chapters, Jacob and Laban. And that Jacob comes across Laban's daughter, he has to immediately be reassured that this is of God. Because he had no doubt heard how his father and mother came to meet one another. He was probably told by his mother, maybe by Abraham's servant, maybe by Abraham himself, maybe by his father Isaac, and now this is happening. And Jacob has to recognize that this is of the Lord. So he's moved in verse 10 to take it upon himself to get these other shepherds out of here. He wants them gone. And he rolls the stone off the mouth of the well himself so they can water their flocks and go on their way. Meanwhile, verse 11, of course, they, they, they aren't gone yet, but Jacob, he can't hold back. He kisses Rachel, and he lifted up his voice and wept. And, and this was not a romantic kiss by any means. This was one of greeting. It's one moved by emotion for sure. In verse 12, Jacob told Rachel, what did he tell her? That he was a relative of her father, that he was Rebecca's son, and like her Aunt Rebecca once did, she goes, she ran and told her father Laban. Rebecca had gone and told Bethuel, her father, and, and Laban had been the one to come out at that point in Genesis 24. And so this is like a replay. It's a replay of that. And Laban runs out when he hears the news. He embraces Jacob. He kisses Jacob. He brings him back to his house. His excitement is obvious. I mean, Laban had cared for his sister Rebecca. If you recall back in Genesis 24... You know, he was a little hesitant to let Rebecca go, but finally he, he conceded. And so here is the son of his long-departed sister, having been sent by his sister, and Laban says, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. Now we see language like that in, where do we see it? In Genesis, right? With Adam and Eve, when Adam sees the woman, for the first time, made from his side, what does he say? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And you can, you know, we're not talking about a husband-wife relationship here with Laban and Jacob, obviously, but what's going on here? Laban can look at Jacob and see his sister in him and probably a bit of his grandfather Nahor, the brother of Abraham. He can see the family resemblance. That's the point. And Jacob stays with family. He stays with Laban for about a month as a guest. But during that month, apparently, you know, Jacob doesn't sit still. He he helps Laban out. He he shepherds his flocks and whatnot. At the end of the month, you, know, you shouldn't work for nothing. What do you want to get paid? What shall be your wages? And this is where the plot twists because now we're told that Jacob has two daughters. We've only met one so far. We've met Rachel, but he also has an older daughter, Leah. <clears throat> and in verse 17, we're told about these two and how they are a little bit different. Rachel is beautiful of form and face. This is written in such a way, she was, she was a knockout. She was a beautiful woman. Um, Leah, her eyes were weak. That's not to say that she was ugly, but compared to Rachel... She did not stand out for her appearance. 
And Jacob loved Rachel. You know, he really, it seems like he has a connection to her right from, from the beginning, right at that well. It's kind of love at first sight in the scriptures. And, and he makes his love known here. He, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And this is Jacob's idea to do this. And Laban agrees. For whatever reason, you know, neither Leah or Rachel were married yet. And it was better to give her to Jacob than somebody else. So Laban agrees. And while you know, it might see, seem uh, extreme that Jacob would work seven years to gain a wife, this is his idea and he does it. And look at the end of verse 20. This is your hallmark moment. They seemed to him... But a few days because of his love for her. Jacob was absolutely smitten. And the implication, by the way, is that Rachel is more than willing to be his wife as well. Well, then we get the conflict. The conflict of the passage comes when the seven years is up and nothing has happened. In verse 21, it's like Jacob has to remind Laban, um, look at your calendar. Uh, Give me my wife for my time is completed that I may go into her. And, of course, go into her being a euphemism for sexual intercourse. But that's not to say that that's all that was on Jacob's mind. The point here is you know, he loves Rachel and he is ready to begin a full married life with her. At this point, you know, Jacob is not a young man. He's a mature man and he knows this is to be his woman. He has no doubts about that. He's ready. He's really past ready to have children through whom... God's covenant promises will continue to be fulfilled. He knows he's going to have descendants, and he's ready for that to happen. Laban, not so much. He's not ready to give Rachel up yet. So with the older sister not having been married yet, and Laban is enjoying the blessings that come along with having Jacob with him, God's favor is upon Jacob, Laban devises this scheme to extract more service out of Jacob. When the, when the time comes for the husband and wife to come together, Leah, or Laban, takes advantage of the situation and he substitutes Leah for Rachel. Okay? So, you know, we might wonder how he pulled this off. But it, it probably wasn't as hard as we might imagine. Because, you know, first of all, the custom, you know, coming together on the wedding night, a little bit, maybe a little bit different than we're familiar with, it most likely would have been dark. She probably would have been veiled according to customs. There wouldn't have been a whole lot of talking, if you understand what I mean by that. Then when there was talking, it was probably whispers. And it's perhaps likely that Leah was dressed in Rachel's clothes and maybe scented with her perfumes. So she was made to seem like Rachel. And before we, there, there's this note in verse 24 that Laban gave his daughter Leah a maid named Zilpah. That becomes important later, but in verse 25, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. We aren't told where Rachel was in all this. We're not told how complicit she was in the scheme. Probably, based on later passages, she just basically submitted to her father, but there's an air of of an intimidation in that relationship. So she was likely easily convinced to, to, to just kind of keep her mouth shut and go along with this. Laban probably knowing how all this would work out anyway if he could pull this first part off with Leah. And as for Leah, you know, it couldn't have been easy for her because 
She is the older sister here. She no doubt wanted a husband. It's likely that she too desired to be Jacob's wife. He was familiar. He was successful. Laban knew of God's blessing upon his family. Leah would have had to have heard about that, known about that by now. Scripture doesn't tell us that that Leah and Rachel bore any animosity toward one another before this, so we don't need to infer there was animosity where it doesn't say there was. But it's probably not out of line for us to conclude there was some jealousy here. Rachel getting married first, supposedly. Leah not being completely happy with that. Whatever happened, in any event, Leah goes along with her father's scheme, and it had to be difficult given the man who came into her thought she was her sister. Well, when Jacob finds out, he asks Laban, What have you done? Wasn't it for Rachel that I served you? Why have you done this? Why have you deceived me? The irony is thick here, by the way. And, and it had to have crossed Jacob's mind while he's being shocked and betrayed by Laban. You know, his, his reaction here is not as strong as it could have been because he has to be remembering his own use of deception, which is what brought him to Haran and to Laban in, in the first place. Isaac had thought he was Esau. He thought Leah was Rachel. Rebekah had orchestrated what Jacob did. Laban orchestrated what Leah did. The parallels are obvious, and it could not have been lost on Jacob. Well, it's given, well, it's likely that given a little time to think about it, Jacob realizes this is all of God. This is God accomplishing his counsel according to his, his will, uh, accomplishing all things according to his counsel, God's sovereignty over all of this. So he doesn't berate Leah. He doesn't seek to break off the marriage. He doesn't seek to send her away or anything like that. And Laban, he tries to justify what he's done by appealing to custom, uh, not to marry the younger before the older. So Laban says, Jacob, if you'll stay on another week, another seven years, you can have Rachel as well. And Jacob does it. And so he, he, he's forced is too strong a word, but, but he's sort of compelled to become a bigamist. And, of course, this isn't out of the ordinary for the times. We've seen already multiple marriages in the scriptures. We'll see more later on. You know, the late Henry Morris, in his commentary on Genesis, he, he, he has an insightful note that as much as we might look at Jacob having two wives as messed up, our culture has accepted what he calls a, a serial polygamy. And how is that? Because of all the divorces in our culture. It's, you know, you, you don't like your marriage, just get divorced. Multiple marriages, multiple marriages. E either way, now, as in Jacob's time, multiple marriages always bring with them heartache, always bring with them family problems, and Jacob and Leah and Rachel would be no exception. We're told in verse 28, Jacob completed the week for Rachel and Laban gave her as a wife. And we get another note about another maid for Rachel, Bilhah. Again, that's important later on. But one thing I do want to point out that maybe you've never thought about before and I'm not even sure this registered with me before I started studying for this tonight. 
for tonight. And we see it in verse 30. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban for another seven years. What this indicates is that Jacob worked for Laban for that second seven years, but he didn't have to wait the full seven years to get Rachel. The use of the word also there, so Jacob went into Rachel also, it, the way it's used, it shows that upon green, uh, agreeing to stay with Laban, Laban goes ahead and gives Rachel to him. So Le- Jacob didn't have to wait 14 years for his true love. He worked for, for Laban for 14 years, but he didn't have to wait all that time to have Rachel. Nevertheless, what do we get here? This statement that he loved Rachel more than Leah, that's an obvious foreshadowing of the issues that are going to come. Issues we're going to look at more in depth next week, God willing, as we uh, keep going in chapter 29 and get into chapter 30. But for now, what are the nuggets here that we can take away from this? Well, unlike some other passages, like the dream we looked at last week, there really aren't big theological ideas here, at least not new theological ideas But there is, again, this unspoken but obvious sovereign providence of God. And to that end, beloved, excuse me, to that end, we can always cling tightly to the certainty that God is in control and that God has decreed the end from the beginning and that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. We can, we can cling to that. We can know that. We can rest in that. And if you want a moral lesson from this, we should be reminded of what should already be obvious. And it's that lying, deception, even when they seem to pay off in the short term, they never pan out in the end. God's not fooled. We may be able to fool our spouses, We may be able to fool our parents. We may be able to fool church members. We may be able to fool our bosses or co-workers or whatever. But the one person we will never fool is the one that matters the most, and that's God. Nothing ever escapes his notice. All things are laid bare before him with whom we have to do. Ephesians 4, 13, I believe it is. And God has a way, both in Scripture and we know in our lives, of bringing recompense, of bringing discipline for our sins. What happened here is that Jacob was obviously shown the grace of God, but in a sense, this is divine discipline upon him. God was doing all of this for his own purposes, yes, but it's also Jacob reaping what he had sown. And just as Esau would remember for the rest of his life how he was deceived out of his birthright and blessing, Jacob would have to remember, and he would have to live. Every time he looked at Rachel, every time he remembered how he got his his wives, he would remember how it came about, and he would have to live with the consequences, and there would be consequences. And he seemed to get that and understand that and submit to that. Well, next week, Genesis 29 and then into 30, But until then, let us always remember that God is in control and let us learn from Jacob by making sure we don't use deception to accomplish our desires. Let us instead sow righteousness 
to accomplish God's desires. Father, we thank you for this day, this night. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to open your word. And as we see Jacob getting what amounts to his first two wives, we recognize that you have orchestrated all things. That I, what, what Isaiah 46 says is true. You have decreed the end from the beginning. You do accomplish all of your good pleasure. So when we don't understand what's going on in the world, we can always rest in that, Father. But let us learn from the moral failure here, the deception. Jacob was reaping the, the fruits of his deception that we've already looked at. It's being paid back to him in a way. Let us remember, Father, that you are the God of truth. And so lying and deception has no place. But at the same time, Father, we do thank you that even when we do fail, there is your grace. And it's not grace designed merely to bail us out of our problem, but grace to transform our lives that we might live for your glory. And I pray we will do so. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.